Open Field Radio. Like, subscribe, share, and review wherever podcasts are found. Open Field Radio. Cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Where ag and life collide. Brought to you by Gowan. Lance Sensenig, Sealands Grove, Pennsylvania. American farmer, American farming pride, and what happens when dad hands you the keys to the farm. We talk it all right now. Hello, America, and a growing audience around the world. Welcome to Open Field Radio. What a cool episode today. Now, I always say that. They're all cool. I love all of them for their own unique things. This one, we have not done one like this yet. So get ready. My guest this episode, Lance Sensenig. You're like, who's that? Right. Exactly. Here's the backstory. I don't want to give it all away, but it goes like this. We had just started Open Field Radio. I mean, we had one episode out, something like that and a little website, and maybe an Instagram page. And this guy hits us and goes, hey, if you ever need a guest, I'd love to talk to you. And you're like, yeah, come on, pal. We got lots of guests lined up. We're busy. We're rocking. Well, you know what? Things work out and things come around. I reached back to him and said, hey, Lance, let's talk. I had no idea what we were in for. This guy's an American farmer. He's your next-door neighbor kind of guy. Just working the farm next door. Oh, yeah, and somehow he has over 50,000 Instagram followers. Wait till you hear this story. It's fascinating. It's so genuine, so real, and I love it. And I hope you love it, too. We're going to kick this thing off in just a little over 60 seconds. Open Field Radio. I don't know about you, but it seems like everywhere I turn right now, there's something about jobs and the abundance of jobs available out there. Well, here's one to throw in the mix. Skip the job. How about a career at Gowan? Maybe you're in agriculture. Maybe you're in science. Maybe you're none of that. Check it out at gowanco.com careers. Great opportunities available, and they're all cool. Careers right here in America and around the world. Come see it for yourself. That's gowanco.com careers. And tell them you heard it on Open Field Radio. I feel like the more shows we do, the more we get to know each other. You know what I mean? I know you, you know me. Oh, look, we're just regular people, right? I mow my yard, you mow your yard. Regular stuff. And when it comes to promoting Open Field Radio, I need regular people to tell other regular people this show is happening. So tell somebody, knock on somebody's door, call them up, send them a text, whatever, and tell them you're listening to Open Field Radio, and by golly, they should be too. It'll be awesome, I promise, because that's what friends do at Open Field Radio. Open Field Radio. Like, share, subscribe. Open Field Radio Season 2, Episode 3 with Lance Sensenig starts right now. Okay, I'm back. Can you hear me okay? <laughs> I can, yes, you're fine. Okay, perfect, perfect. I just had to, the cell phone service is absolutely horrible in my office, and so I have to, like, go outside. and. Where are you located where your cell, cell phone service is so stellar? Um, so I'm located in, uh, Sealands Grove, Pennsylvania, just outside of town. And the, the terrain is pretty much, it's not quite as bad as the Carolinas, but it's almost as bad. It's pretty much straight up and straight down. And every time you're in a valley, you have terrible cell phone service, but, uh, yeah, we'll get it figured out one of these days. Of course, I connected with you via Instagram. In fact, you connected with me via Instagram. How'd you find us? How'd you find the show? Um, so how I found the uh, show, um, there is a service mechanic out in California. His name is Ramon. I forget what his last name is. He works on like produce harvesters, all different types of produce equipment. Um, I'm not sure exactly how he's involved, but we're good friends on Instagram. 
Um, we jumped back and forth on stories um, every once in a while. And I think he either got on your show or recommended you guys somehow. And I was like, hey, cool. I love being on podcasts. So I was just like, hey, uh, you know, if you guys ever need somebody to come on and chat about agriculture, agriculture is my passion. Um, so anything to do with agriculture, I, I just love doing this kind of thing. Well, I love on your Instagram, if you go to your account directly, which I'm doing right now, and it says uh, Lance Sensenig, hashtag American Farmer. Doesn't get any more straight up than that. <laughs> That's back when I first got started. And how I kind of got started on social media um, is I was young. I got my first smartphone and I made a few tractor videos. Actually, I had a six bottom uh, white plow with a 986, I think it was Alice Deutz. And I was plowing a really, really rocky ground. And uh, <laughs> I thought... I was going like really, really slow, and I found out that you could jump out of the the tractor and uh, videotape the tractor while it's moving, and that was like my first popular video, and like ever since I've been hooked. Um, so I originally started on Facebook, and then I kind of migrated over to Instagram. Talk to me real quick. Let's jump back real quick to the American farmer part because I love that. What's it mean to you to be an American farmer? Um, an American farmer, um, I guess it's a little bit prideful in some ways, um, being that, you know, there's a lot of farmers throughout the world. You have Brazil, you have China, all these different countries. And I now I look at more from a global perspective as farmers as a whole of taking care of the world. Um, but back in the day, um, I was like American farmer. That's my most of where my agricultural experience came from. And then I think it's just there's something special about being on, we would say, the greatest nation on earth and being able to farm in the U.S. is incredible. I'm going to jump in here real quick, first of all, because Lance is spot on. I love his perspective. I love that he has that kind of global perspective and at the same time he's got that American farmer pride. I love that. So here's the big question. What do you do when you got a farm and dad says, here, it, the farm's all yours, but you're a kid. And I'm talking a kid. What do you do? You come to farming through your family, correct? Yes, that is correct. Um, my dad and mom um, both grew up on uh, dairy farms. My dad started out when I was a kid being actually a truck driver. Um, he calls uh, LTL refrigerated food from the East Coast to the West Coast. So I wasn't born into the farming community, but my dad was entrenched in it. And like, that was one thing that I got to see it sit and ride from the East coast to the West coast, looking out the driver's window at all these farms. And like, my dad was like, someday you're going to farm the family farm. Um, and that day came, I think roughly about when I was 13, 14 years old. And we, me and my younger brother, we decided to farm my dad's farm. It was 160 acres, and we decided we were going to farm it organically. Um, and back at that time, if you would have said that you wanted to farm organic 160 acres, I'm, I was 14. My brother was two years younger than me. You were crazy. That would be my first introduction, physically doing farming myself. 
Well, it brings two questions to mind. First things first, what's day one like for you when dad says, you're farming the farm, here's the keys, at 14 years old? And the second part of that is, what's the decision-making process at 14 with your 12-year-old brother that you go, we're going to do this organic? <laughs> um, so, so there was a little bit of uh, thought process behind that. So my little brother, ever since I was a little kid and he could, you know, walk, he has the green thumb of the family. So he's not necessarily a farmer, but when it comes down to shoving seeds in the ground and, you know, getting into the <laughs> dirt and knowing when to plant stuff, he has that real connection with um, nature. Like I wanted to farm, but, you know, I was more, you know, involved, you know, with the tractors, the economics of it, you know, the, the, the mind behind it. And my younger brother, he was more the connection of the green thumb, you know, having that real connection with the plants, like knowing when to spray, knowing when to cut the hay, working with the weather, um, and so it was a great combination. And the reason why we decided to go organic and, you know, back at that time, it was, and probably still today, it was viewed as like a hippie green thing, like uh, just, you know, a, you know, crazy yuppie thing that everybody did. But one thing that we looked at is, you know, it paid twice as much. And still to this day, it pays almost twice as much as regular conventional crops. So what we literally did is we sat down with my grandpa, which back in, when he farmed, there was no sprays, no chemicals, and there was no such thing as no-till. And we're like, well, he got 200 bushels to the acre, which, you know, so some people that's a lot, some people that's barely anything. It depends where you're farming, you know, whether you're a coastal farmer, flatland farmer, a dryland farmer, irrigation, or you're farming here in Pennsylvania. But for that area in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, that was a really good yield. So 200 bushels an acre, farming with no chemicals, plowing, we're like, that. if we could do that nowadays, turn that's almost what guys are getting farming conventionally on corn. Um, so we learned all his tips and tricks. We went out and did it. Um, we didn't do it perfect. It took us a long time to get it figured out. But back at that time, conventional corn went from roughly about $4 a bushel up to $7 a bushel. There was a huge spike in the grain market. And it's literally the first year that we decided to farm, me and my little brother, and we decided to farm organically. So, you know, $7 a bushel for conventional corn, and then for organic, you're getting $14 a bushel, um, which we didn't get really good yields, but we paid for all our equipment the first year. Um, which is incredible. My dad was like, he's like, you won the lottery deciding to farm <laughs> this year being your first year. He's like, this does not happen. Don't get used and, to this. You know, take it for, yeah, exactly. And, 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 and on a second note, you know, we didn't buy new equipment. We bought like all of our equipment out of the junkyard. A lot of it was held together with duct tape and foam. Um, but that's how you get started. You don't start with the best, you start with you started at the bottom of the totem pole. So that's kind of how we got started and just kind of things started to progress from that point. Was your grandfather, did he guide you through this? Did your father guide you through this? Or was this just a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old going, let's do this? <laughs> it was a lot of a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old, let's do this. <laughs> um Secondly, you know, it had some influence from my dad. Um, he always wanted to farm his entire life, but never could afford to. Um, 
he was stuck kind of in the truck driving world and to make the jump to actually farming. So one of his wishes for, was his, for his boys to, to farm. Our grandpa and actually a few of my uncles uh, as well, because they were all actually turned into dairy farmers. wasn't like they pushed us into it, but they kind of, when we didn't know how to do something, we kind of referred to them. I still remember the first time um, our first corn planter um, was a out of a junkyard. It was uh, a a 7,000 um, John Deere no-till drill um, six row. Um, it didn't even have uh, like the markers on the end. It basically was stripped down. It was like one of the first no-till, like it didn't even have a lot of the modern equipment on it. And I still remember talking to my mom's oldest brother and being like, hey, I have no idea how to set this corn planter up. I don't even know what to buy. I don't know what wears out. Um, so he actually came up from Lancaster, um, which is about a two hour drive, um, for an entire day. And he sat down and like showed me how, you know, shin the plates, use two pieces of paper and you got to have about two inches of, of where the blades are touching tolerances, uh, spring controllers, you know, um, a lot of that stuff, how to get it set up, which, you know, I remember I spent more on parts that year than I did on the corn planter, which was, you know, crazy, you know, what just to, and a lot of times that's the way it is when every year, um, when you have to rebuild your corn planter, your drill, a lot of people don't know you spend about as much on the planter as the planter's worth in parts. Um, at least back when I used to, I haven't actually rebuilt a drill or anything like that for quite a while. Cause I've been in a lot of different uh, parts of agriculture, but yeah, back at that time, it was about that price. You're listening to Open Field Radio. Looking for a miticide and insecticide? Check this out. Sandmite SC, miticide, insecticide. That's right. Easy to mix formulation, fast knockdown of difficult to control mites and whiteflies, long lasting control, 30 to 45 day residual, long list of tolerant plant species, even on poinsettias. Effective against most major mite species, including two spotted spider mite, broad mite, European and southern red mite, rust and bud mite. Effective against greenhouse and sweet potato whiteflies and control leafhoppers and certain aphids. Sandmite SC is a highly effective miticide and insecticide that controls mites and whiteflies on ornamental plants, flowers and foliage plants, greenhouse tomatoes, and greenhouse cucumbers. Sandmite SC. Always read and follow label directions from Gallon Company. This is Daniel Carmichael. Bear Flag Robotics, Newark, California. Season 1, Episode 12. It's and you're listening to Open Field Radio. So we're starting a new thing here at Open Field Radio, and we, I talk like there's a bunch of us, but there are plenty of us here. An entire team, as a matter of fact, and we are starting a thing we like to call Ask OFR. Pretty simple. Hashtag on Instagram or Twitter. Hashtag Ask OFR. Got a question on something? Maybe an episode? Maybe an idea? I don't know. Just ask a question, because you know what? If I don't know the answer, I know plenty of folks that do. And it can be kind of cool. We want to hear from you. We love to interact with you. With that, ask us something. For crying out loud, ask that question. Hashtag AskOFR. Because that's what friends do at Open Field Radio. Quick shout out to some folks we know are listening to Open Field Radio. Say hello to New Iberia, Louisiana, Riley, Kansas, Auburn, Alabama, Fairfield, Iowa, Sackville, Canada, St. Albans, UK, Modena, Italy, and Mexicali, Mexico. 
Thanks for listening. My name is James Little. I'm right outside Idlew, Texas, and I'm listening to Open Field Radio. From the Gowan Global Studio deep inside the Lee Hotel, this is Open Field Radio. Do you remember your first harvest? Um, I do remember our first harvest. Um, that year, it was a little on the wet side. Um, I think most of our grain we sold um, pretty much directly right out of the field. Um, and we bought my dad when he, he when he was in his 20s, he went out in the Midwest and worked on harvest crews. And his uh, combine that he fell in love with when he was out there um, was 8820s. So the first combine that my dad said, well, he knew how to operate and knew how they worked, how to work on them at the whole nine yards was, you know, an 8820. So we went out and actually purchased one from the Midwest, um, out of, I think another junkyard, um, uh, an old 7720. So the one that we had needed a lot of work and duct tape and stuff like that. <laughs> so our first uh, season of harvesting, we we sold pretty much everything out of the field directly. Um, it was a really wet year. Um, we didn't get very good yields, um, but still at the price that you could sell organic grain back at that time was astronomical, um, and we did very well. The one thing that we took back from it from the first year is if we could store our own grain, if we could dry our own grain, um, was one of the biggest factors, which actually is kind of how eventually it evolved into us having our own grain facility and storing grain for Purdue agribusiness. Um, is kind of how that evolved into it. Um, we kept on getting more bins, more bins, more bins, and the demand kept on getting bigger for uh, drying grain and storing grain. Now, at this point in the interview, my head is basically spinning. As I mentioned earlier, this is not our typical interview. This was really different. The whole setup to it was different. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this interview, it becomes crystal clear. This is not about his farming or his abilities or something cool that he's doing. This is the story of the American Family Farm. And these kind of stories, you can't make these up. Now, the story of your family farm may vary a little bit, but I venture to guess there's a thread through this that resonates with everyone. Um, One thing that my dad really instilled uh, into us boys when we were young was he said, if you can hold, if you can reach the pedals, if you can hold on to it, it's yours. Um, And then he would just leave us. Um, When we were kids, um, we didn't get toys and we didn't get video games we didn't get nothing he told us to go out in the woods and play in the woods about the only thing he did was he would give us work to do that he would pay us for that we could actually go out and buy dirt bikes with um <laughs> but yeah that, that was kind of us we grew up in the woods pretty much <laughs> and anytime there's a dirt bike involved stuff's gonna happen stuff's gonna happen <laughs> exactly exactly let's talk about the grain storage part of it at what point at what age how long had you been farming where you said you know what we've got to be able to do this ourselves so one of our big jumps was um and, and this happens all the time. If you want to thrill better than Vegas, go be a farmer. Um, because the <laughs> economics of farming, you can miscalculate stuff so easily. And it happens on a regular basis. When we progressed, my, my older brother, he came to farm with me 
and my younger brother. And at that point, dad's like, we don't have enough ground for three boys. We need to start expanding. And when I was talking about the financial issue, um, one of our neighbors was renting his farm out and the farmer couldn't keep up with paying his rent. So he needed somebody else to rent the farm. And it was a pretty large farm. And, you know, here in this part of Pennsylvania, you know, and guys are going to hear the numbers and either they're going to think it's really big or they're going to think it's really small, but it was a 600 acre farm. And we were, this was like, we were going from 160 acres and we were multiple, not quite, but almost like tripling our acreage. Um, so we're going out and this is like a big jump. Um, and when we farmed, my dad had this bad habit of when he would go places, he would go to like business meetings and really important places. And he would wear his worst set of jeans with like holes in and like his, he, like he would go to like doctors and lawyers, like looking like he was homeless. And that's just the <laughs> way my dad was. So all of us boys picked it up. Um, so we went over to our neighbor and it were like three little boys. And my dad, and he's like, hey, you know, are you interested in renting it out? Um, and this guy uh, owns his own uh, winery here in Pennsylvania. And uh, he's kind of one of those guys. He's very, he has an extremely dry sense of humor, and he doesn't make any decisions fast. Um, he kind of, he hauled around. He's like, you know, I do need somebody to rent the ground and, and this, that, and the other thing. Um, so it went a couple days and my dad got a call back and he's like, you guys better buckle up your boots. Cause he said, we got 600 acres to farm and it's going to be a lot of work. And we're, we're going to, we're, that was our first big jump in the door. And, uh, the one thing that the owner said, he's like the, one of the deciding factors, he said, I've had, you know, every single farmer come to my door with, you know, brand new machinery. They have the act together. And also the guy that was renting it had his act together. Uh, as far as, you know, equipment goes, he had brand new equipment every year, had tons of employees. I mean, top of the line, state of the art farming. He said, you were the first guys to come in. He said, you got three young boys. He said, you can see the hunger in their eyes. And he said, they got holes in their jeans. They actually look like they work hard. And he said, I think you'll be able to pay your rent. And that was one thing my dad said. He's like, you got to pay your rent. And he's like, we are going to pay our rent. Because if we lose this place, it's going to be our last place that we're going to rent. And it was one of the bigger farms that was going up in the area to rent. So kind of that excitement, you know, that hunger for, you know, getting your first step in the door and then it kind of just blew up from there and kind of how it turned into where I kind of ventured off into the grain industry, whereas that particular farm had four 36 foot bins, you know, each bin held about 10 to 20,000 bushels in each bin. Um, it had an elevator, which was kind of, it was a really old system, but it was kind of state of the art for a farm to have its own grain facility. Um, there was bigger farmers, but you know, for a 600 acre farm to have its own grain facility where you could store your own grain um, wasn't really heard of um, at that time, um, at least for us. Most guys, you know, took their grain to the elevator. So I started, you know, my job was moving the grain from the combine to the grain facility, doing the drying, unloading, doing all that kind of stuff. 
And then it kept on being where we didn't have enough storage, didn't have enough storage. We decided to build grain bins for tax write-off. And the biggest thing that I can say is there's no such thing as a stupid question. And my dad always told me that. And we were going to build two grain bins. And my dad was like, he knew the Purdue grain salesman, uh, well, grain buyer. And he's like, so if I build uh, some bins, will, will you guys rent them? And right at that time, uh, we ha- the grain buyer for Purdue was Chris Neff. And he uh, was a very go-getter. He was, there was no such thing as a crazy idea. And he jumped on anything and, and he just, he was one of those guys that just like he could envision what things could turn into. Um, and he's like, yeah, we'll rent that. And then my dad went and turned around and he needed another tax write off and he wanted to buy two more bins and a grain dryer. And he's like, well, what if I build two more bins and another grain dryer? And he's like, yeah, we'll rent that too. Um, and I still remember <laughs> we had part of the facility built. We were standing in the office and me and my two brothers are standing there and the office isn't even done. It's the middle of the winter, you know, it's cold. And Chris is standing there and he's like, so this looks really good. You guys really put some effort into it. He's like, this is going to be pretty cool. He's like, so he said, you know, you drive truck. And he said, and there's three boys here. You guys farm 600 acres. Somebody's got to run this and do all that. Who's going to run it? And I still remember looking at both my brothers and they weren't saying anything. And I was like, oops. I will. <laughs> uh, and my dad like got this look. He was not expecting me to say I will and kind of looked at me for a little bit. And cause I was kind of, you know, I worked in the shop and I, I had run, I basically ran the grain, our old grain facility back on the farm. And he's like, well, you know, he's like, kind of takes care of that. And he's like, yeah, sure. You'll do a good job at that. So it kind of went, from one thing to the next, which right at that time when I said, you know, yeah, I'll run it, that was in 2016. In 2013, 14, and 15, I had spent a bunch of time out in the Midwest on a custom uh, harvesting crew uh, called B&D Walter Farms, the largest Case IH custom operating crew. They were based out of Lethbridge, Alberta, and they go the whole way down to Oklahoma and then move their way up through the United States. They farmed about 80,000 acres of Indian reservation in Lethbridge, Alberta. So that was kind of their bread and butter. And then they did the custom harvest kind of on the side. So I kind of had that experience. So that taught me quite a bit, got me started on the agribusiness level. And then that translated into in knowing about grain and moving grain in mass quantities and then taking that same knowledge and translating it to the home farm and storing grain. Coast to coast and around the world. You're listening to Open Field Radio. You know, of the grain crops, wheat and barley are two of the most sensitive to copper deficiencies. But Badge SC from Gowan USA is effective in overcoming copper deficiencies. Badge applications to wheat and barley have demonstrated both yield and test weights increases when applied mid-tilling through the boot growth stages. Badge SC takes copper technology to new heights, mixing two high-purity copper salts, copper hydroxide and copper oxychloride, into one superior formulation. The formulation technology 
technology behind Badge SC makes it one of the easiest mixing, most stable, and ready for this, best performing liquid copper formulations on the market. America's number one liquid copper brand, ask for it by name, Badge SC. Always read and follow label directions from Gowan Company. Cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Open Field Radio. And now back to Open Field Radio with our guest, American farmer Lance Sensenig. I was very uh, blessed because once I we started contracting everything out to Purdue, there is a lot of grain geniuses that work uh, in at Purdue. Um, really old guys, and they taught me, they kind of took me underneath their wing and taught me some amazing stuff. Um, I I have my own chicken farm now, um, but I still get a lot of phone calls from grain customers, and then also from these old guys that are like, "Hey, what are you doing?" or you know, questions about grain. Because once you get to learn how to do it, it's kind of like the trick of the trade. Um, they say, well, I've got, you know, I've got wheat at 20% moisture and the test weight is here. If I dry it at this temperature, what's going to happen? And, you know, I would, I'd have to sit down and think of it. You know, if you just asked me on the spot, I'd have to think about it. I'd have to take <laughs> into, I'd probably ask you a bunch of questions. What's your air humidity? What kind of dryer are you using? How, like, what's your breakdown? What's your capabilities? And a lot of times my job was, you know, how can you make that farmer capable of bringing in a crop that's worth something and getting his most bang for his buck? You know, because if he makes money, I make money. That a lot of a lot of grain receivers and grain people don't think that way. They're like, oh, just just bring it in. We're either going to take it or reject it. Um, but I found out in the long run, if you think through the process and how you can tell the farmer to create the best product possible, um, and the end will benefit you the most as well. When you were standing in that office, it was you, your two brothers. Uh, was your dad there too? Yes, my dad was. You went from a 14-year-old kid starting dad's farm to making decisions yeah. on what the future of this is going to be with your two brothers in a very short period of time. Yeah. That is the American farm experience, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I can tell you anybody who wants to be successful or have anything to do with agriculture, it's not how old you are and if you're qualified. If your age does not qualify you to be capable of doing something. Anybody who's listening, don't ever let anyone tell you because you're a certain age, you're not allowed to do something. Um, it falls back on the same factor. You know, if you can reach the pedals, if you can hold on to it and hang on to it, it's yours. The American Family Farm. Now, according to WideOpenEats.com, the American Family Farm is the backbone of the United States. From the foundation of our national government, it's the family farm that set up the agricultural infrastructure that serves our country all the way to the present. And today, over 2 million farms are found across the country. 98% of them operated by families, individuals, family partnerships, or family corporations. That, according to the American Farm Bureau Federation. Sure, family farming has changed drastically over the last 100 years due to, of course, new technology, consumer needs, etc., and though it may seem like that idyllic family farm has disappeared, you know what? New data shows that family farms are growing larger farms and producing more goods than ever. 
If you got a family farm story, I'd love to hear it. Email me, info at openfieldradio.com. Let's just see where this goes. I love this. Also, before I forget, don't forget to check Lance out on Instagram. Lance Sensenig on Instagram. You won't be disappointed, man. He's got a million pictures of just some very, very cool stuff. His farm and everything else he's got going on. Make sure you check that out. Your dad said go, and you went, and nothing slowed you down. Nothing slowed you down. Yeah. Yeah. As a young kid, where was it? Where did you, how did you see the opportunity in that? I think it's a lot of, you know, you have heroes in life. You have people that you put on a pedestal and you say, hey, these people did all these great things. And someday I want to do that. A lot of people would say luck. I don't think it's necessarily luck. But I think, and and also another thing is, I know tons of other people in the agriculture industry that have very similar stories. A lot of times people like they try to be successful, but if you try to better the greater good, you know, you're not out there just for yourself. You're out there for a larger picture than just yourself. You're not just trying to become rich. If you're trying to take care of the earth and figure out the best way to do that possible. Um, I think almost anybody could do it. That's what farming is. That's what a lot of kids grow up to be is they see their dads as heroes. They see, or, or not even their dads, maybe, you know, as the, the older generation who is farming, that is their hero and they want to be that person so bad. And that is American farming is being able to pass that on generation to generation. You've been listening to Open Field Radio from Gowan Company. Like, share, subscribe, review. Everywhere podcasts are found. The views and opinions expressed by the guests of Open Field Radio are theirs and do not necessarily reflect those of the program. All rights reserved. No duplication or redistribution without permission. 